0: Everybody glad you're here? I Well, I started to say I thank God for you, but Friday we went out to supper with my son Jake, his wife Miriam, and uh, my six-year-old grandson David, and when he saw me, he comes running up to me and asked me if I would go with him to the restroom, and I said, I would. you know, that would be awesome. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, he's a big boy now, so he goes in the stall and I stay out. But he couldn't shut the door. So I hold the door shut, as he asked me to. And I know guys aren't supposed to talk in the bathroom, but he didn't know that yet. So I'm like, he says, thank you, Papa, for holding the door for me. I said, David, I love you. I'm glad you're in my life. He said, Papa, I'm glad you're in my life, too, because you buy me toys. <laughs> so I'm telling you, I'm glad you're in my life. No strings attached. I love you. I thank God for you. And if you're here for the first time, you know, today has been kind of emotional for me because people are coming back to public worship, and I'm seeing people for the first time, and oh my gosh, my heart just swells. (laughs) Sorry, Charlie, I almost started bawling when you hugged me. Um, Yeah, I love you guys. And if you're here for the first time, man, we're grateful you heard You sensed God's invitation to be here right now, and you said yes to Him. He called, you answered, you showed up, and we thank God for you. Well, here's what we've been wrestling with uh, for some time, this statement, in blank, we trust. So I just wondered how you might personally fill in that blank for you. And authentically, it's filled in by what is first and most important in your life. So, how, how would you fill it in? And maybe you want to say, hey, in nothing and no one do I trust. Okay, <laughs> got some trust issues. Um, we'll buy you a t-shirt. Um, no, maybe you say, hey, this is church in God we trust. It's just that what goes in the blank is what's first and most important in your life. So, let's be real. What might be mo- most honest is you, for you to say, uh, in my politics, I trust. In my opinions, I trust. In my preferences, what I want, and what I like, that's what I trust. In my relationships, I trust. In my job, in my money, I trust. You see, let me show you. You only truly trust what you put first in your life. So, honestly, I hope it is God. Not just because this is church, but because that's the best thing for my life, and that's the best thing for your life. You see, let's look at our statement again. In blank we trust. If we put the wrong person, the wrong place, the wrong thing, and there's this tendency in every human heart to chase after, thinking that person, that relationship will make me happy. Oh, that place to live. That place to be, that place to vacation, that'll make me happy. That thing, that iPhone, or um, lower in quality Samsung. Just kidding. I have an Android. In blank, we trust. Um, If you put the wrong person, place, or thing in there, it creates great stress and anxiety in your life. Have you heard of FOMO? FOMO. F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. This is a crisis that's affecting almost, at least I could say, the majority of hearts in the majority of homes today. Let me show you the front page of the New York Magazine recently. It's the return of FOMO, the return of missing out, the fear of of missing out because we're returning kind of to normal. The question over here, this young woman's thinking, is everyone else in the city roller skating without me? When I googled FOMO this week, I was amazed at the number of psychological journals that are trying to address this issue and help people who are struggling with the anxiety created by their FOMO, their fear of missing out. What happens, they go on social media, and they see someone, friend, family member, on a luxury cruise. And they're like, this is why I'm so miserable. I'm not on that cruise. Or they go back on social media. They see a friend or family member primitive camping. And they're like, this is why I'm so miserable. I need to be out in nature. Or they go back on social media and they see one who's someone who's gotten a promotion in their job, making more money, and they're like, "Ah, oh, man, they're they got a better life, a better job, more money than me. That's why I'm so miserable." Or they go back on social media and they see someone who is downsizing and simplifying, and they're like, "Ah, oh, that's why I'm so miserable. I have too much stuff." For them, this phrase, "Boop," in God, we excuse me, in blank, we trust is a revolving door. They stress themselves out. They are creating this dangerous inner anxiety by putting something, just changing whatever goes in the blank. Whatever is the latest, whatever is the greatest, whatever seems the most fun, whatever seems to have the greatest payoff, the most technologically advanced. And it, it creates this inner anxiety. Now, I, as I suggested, I hope that maybe over the course of the next 15 or 20 minutes, you're going to draw a line in the sand. And together we're going to say, you know what? It's in God. We trust nothing, no one, nothing works but putting all of our trust, putting God first and all of our trust in Him. But how do you know? I mean, I have a smartphone. I have a TV. Um, I've been on social media. I haven't been for about a month, and I think my IQ has gone up. So how do we know? None of those things are wrong. How do we know that God is truly first place in our lives? How do we know that it's in God that we trust? Well, it's our generosity. Our generosity is the acid test of whether or not we truly trust God. So we began this series on In Blank We Trust. I just shared with you, God in His Word, He understands our fear of giving, He understands our scarcity mentality, our fear that if we give, that there'll be less for me. Like there's a limited supply when he is the unending source of unlimited resource. And he understands that our faith is stunted. So to grow our faith and diminish our fear, his word is filled with thousands of promises. And most of those promises are aimed at at our generosity. More promises regarding our generosity than regard prayer, than regard serving, than regard worship, than, than regard faith, than regard love. And so, I shared with you my three favorite promises of God for my generosity. Here they are, that when we are generous, God promises to bless us with His goodness. Now, Tov is the Hebrew word in the Bible for goodness. It means God's beauty, God's bounty, God's best. When we are generous with God, he gives us his beauty, his bounty, the best. Number two, this one's most precious to me. When we are generous, God promises to bless our children. When we came uh, to this community 40 years ago to serve This church, my Deb and I had two biological boys. Josh was three, Jake was three months. Uh, In our 50s, I was 52, Deb was 52, and we adopted a son from Haiti named Wilkie. Now he's like uh, 31. I'm still 52, but he's gotten older. (laughs) Um, We adopted a little girl when we were 57 from Haiti, Lovia. Uh, All our kids are adults and married. The boys all have uh, children. And I've been able to watch over the, score, score, the, 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 the span of those 40 years how God has blessed my children because we didn't have much money. We don't live in a fancy house. We paid like 54000 for the home we live in. It's paid for. So my kids are always driving me. Why don't you live someplace nicer? This one's paid for. I'm not going into debt for nobody or nothing. But God has blessed our children. What we couldn't give them, how we could not help, particularly our biological boys, we just didn't have it. But what we did was bring the first 10% of our income to the Lord, and our God took care of our boys better than we ever could have. He blesses our children On the basis of our generosity to him, not just with houses and families, but with joy and peace and a sense of significance and meaning in their life. Number three, God promises to bless the way we make a living, that's our paychecks, and the way we make a life. This is the stuff money cannot buy. This is the joy God blesses. This is the hope God blesses. This is the love God blesses. Money can't buy that stuff. You only get it from the blessing of God. And he promises both to bless the paycheck and to bless. That's the way we make a life. And the last time I taught, those are the promises I shared with you, the rewards, my favorite four rewards that God promises to those who are generous with Him. Here we go. God rewards our generosity by giving us His supreme happiness, His happiness, from His heart to ours, not our grandma's happiness, not our girlfriend's happiness, Not something we can manufacture on our own. When we are generous with him, he rewards us with his happiness. Number two, God rewards our generosity by enlarging our world. That means he gives us more people to love and more people who love us. He gives us more experiences and opportunities for meaning, fulfillment in a satisfying life. Number three, God rewards our generosity by making our lives overflow. I believe that that does have financial implications. It certainly has had for me and Deb. But it has all kinds of implications across the spectrum of children and grandchildren. uh, of Those things that money cannot buy, like the overflow of joy, the overflow of peace, the overflow of hope, the overflow of love. And finally, God rewards our generosity by meeting, this is crazy, all our needs. It's mind-blowing, all our needs. Now, maybe first thing you think of, uh, your need for groceries, or your need to get the rent paid, or the mortgage paid, or your car payment, or your credit card bill, your Wi-Fi, your cell phone your cable, all these needs, but that—that that is just the tip of the iceberg for the needs God addresses because I have a need to be loved and you have a need to love and God meets those needs. We have a need to be significant and God meets that need and we could go on and on and on throughout the whole afternoon and share all the needs within us as humans that God addresses us in response to our generosity. Well, today, I want to close this series going beyond the promises, going beyond the rewards to talk to you about the three power principles that have driven our, I call them power because they drive us into a stronger financial position. These are the principles of God. When we live them, they help us gain financial strength. Here's number one, power principle number one, multiplication. Whatever we give to Jesus, he multiplies more and more. You name the thing you need more of, you offer it to Jesus. For instance, maybe you say, you know what, I need more time. Will you give the first and best of your time to Jesus? And he touches your time and blesses your time, expands your time, enables you to get more done in your time, enables you to find more rest in your time. Or maybe you say, you know what I need is more energy. Will give Jesus the first and best of your energy? Every morning I start my day praying that way. God, be my stamina, be my energy. Give me vigor and vitality. And he is faithful. And so, This day begins, time and energy, I'm on our front porch, in our swing, with the Word of God, listening and talking to Him. Best of my time, first of my time, best of my energy, first of my energy. So He is filling every day. Maybe you say, well, hey, Clark, what I need is more money. Okay, do what his word indicates, give the first part of your income to the Lord, and then he gives you more and more in terms of resources. Best way for me to teach this is to remind you, there are four different books in the New Testament that account the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, Let's just go through them together. What's the number one? Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. Four different authors, four different men, writing for their their own unique perspective and vantage point and relationship with Jesus, writing on his life, death, and resurrection. Now, these men wrote their books at different times over the span of 40 years, and they wrote these books to different audiences, making up the population of the world at that time, four different audiences over the span of 40 years, four different men from four different perspectives. But each of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of those authors under the breath of God saw it as absolutely essential to include this multiplication power principle by describing the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? How many of you know that story? It starts like this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd of thousands coming, saw a great crowd coming, he said to Philip, Philip's one of his closest friends, he's got 12 disciples, Philip is one of those, he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Jesus asked this only to trust him. Evidently, Philip has trust issues. He sees what is reasonable and rational. He does not see with faith. He does not look to God. He looks at the circumstance. So Jesus is testing because Jesus, he already had in mind what he was going to do. It's a test. Philip, what do you test? You test what you can just see, the huge need. Or or do you trust God? And you know what? You and I face that same test every time we get paid. I get paid on a weekly basis, Ray and I. And uh, you may get paid every other week. Or maybe your income comes in once a month. But however we get paid, it's always a test. What are we going to do? Do we acknowledge God? Here's the test. Do we acknowledge God as the source of all that we've received? Do we acknowledge that God is the one who has given us the capacity to earn this paycheck? Do we bring to God the first 10% that rightly belongs to Him? And do we trust that God, when we give to Him, will give us more and more, multiply it to more and more? That's the test we offer. It's a trust test. Here's what happens in the story. Uh, another of his disciples, Andrew, this time spoke up. He said, Well, we got this kid. He's got like a Long John Silver's kids' meal. Um, five bread rows, two f- small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So he too is just looking at the circumstance. We got something, but it's not enough. Have you, have you ever been there? You got the bills piling up. You know what your income is? and You're like, How far will this go among? so many. I remember when we first moved here, we left Evansville, Indiana, a large city. We owned a home there. We came here believing that God called us to serve this church, but that home in Evansville did not sell. Not the first year. Not the. We went three years of having to pay bills, the heating bills down there, the taxes down there, insurance for that place, a property manager for that place. And all of our bills up here. And we were only making $17,000 a year at the time. And I mean, it was hard stuff. I don't like bologna anymore. Or frozen pizza. Because I had my fill back then when times were hard. And I would look at our bills. And I would look at that stuff. And, you know, how far is this going to go among all that? But God... Our God is perfect in faithfulness. Now, 40 years later, I sit with my Debbie at night. We hold hands. We're going to take communion, and we pray. And I thank God for what he's done in our finances. And it's not because I'm a financial whiz. I don't know anything about money management. All I know is what God's word says, and I do what his word says, and he is faithful to multiply it and make it more, more, more. Here's what happened in the story. The people sat down, about 5,000 of them, and when Jesus took the bread in his hands, now catch this, as long as that lunch stayed in the little boy's hands, nothing, it wasn't even enough for him. It was like a snack between lunch and supper. Even if he put it in Andrew's hands or Philip's hands, nothing was going to happen. But when it gets into the hands of Jesus, that's when the multiplication takes place. Same with us. Every week as I write out my check to Jesus that comes through this church for his sake, for his name, and for his honor, Once that goes into his hands, he doesn't just multiply it for the sake of the kingdom. He multiplies it back to me. I receive back more than I've given, more and more in his hands and having given thanks. Notice what he does. We put it in his hands. He thanks God for it, and he gives it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All, every man, woman, and child in that crowd of thousands, all ate as much as they wanted. He supplied their every need. That's power principle number one that's worked in my life for the last 40 years. Whatever we give to Jesus, he multiplies back to us more and more. Here's power principle number two, planting and harvest. Any uh, gardeners in the room like to garden? Farmers? We've got farmers in the room? Um, here's the word of God. Scripture says this look at this if when he when he tries to characterize God, here's his number one adjective, this generous God. This is why he calls us to generosity because we take on his nature. We were made in his image. At some point, we can lose his image, but we are most in his image when we are generous like our God is generous, this generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for all of us for our meals. This generous God is even more extravagant toward you when you're generous. First, He supplies. He's the God of the resupply. He's the God of surplus. He supplies every need, not just financial need, emotional need, mental need, relational need, spiritual need, plus more. Then He multiplies the seeds as you sow it, so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. You see, When I write out that check, I'm old school. I'm sorry. I know you can do it online, and I respect those of you that understand that. I understand writing a check. But when I write it, it's not a debt I owe. My giving is not a debt I owe. It's a seed I sow. Now, my dad, I got to be with my dad. He's 93 years old. Last weekend was Father's Day. My mom's birthday, she just turned 89 And I don't know how many more special days I have like that with them. And so my dad's favorite thing is to take me out to his garden. Way out in the country, he and two of his cronies have a 45-foot by 45-foot garden. And here's a picture. That's our uh, dog. I just put the dog in there so you could see how huge the cabbages are. He wins blue ribbons at the fair. His cabbages are the size of um, basketballs and um, they've got onions and okra. How many know what okra is? Okay, you're good people. You know good food. Okra, onions, potatoes. He's going to get a team of mules to plow his potatoes, to harvest them, not to ruin them. They plow up the potatoes so you don't have to dig everyone. I want to be there to see those mules because I like Festus on Gunsmoke, and he's got a mule. But, I mean, he's got tomatoes, potatoes, a zucchini, squash. You gardeners, you farmers, you know what my dad knows. There has not been a gardener, a farmer in the history of the world who has planted one seed and only gotten one seed back. If you have a kernel of corn and you plant it, you don't get back just one kernel. You get a whole stock of corn with multiple ears, and each ear has hundreds of kernels. You get a hundredfold return on that one seed. And so you get to choose the size of your harvest by your generosity. My giving is, is not a dead iota, God, it's a seed I sow. And the more generous I am in the sowing, the more generous I am in the harvest. Now, there's a planting season. You don't harvest during planting. You plant it. And then there's a waiting season. This is when you trust God that what you planted is going to bear a harvest 40, 60, what does the Bible say? A hundredfold. Look at the Word of God. You will be made abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously on every occasion. Again, this is something my Deb and I pray almost every night. I don't always include this in my prayer, but here's how I know it by heart. God, make me rich in every way that I might be generous on every occasion, and through my generosity, let thanksgiving spring forth to you. And so, in fact, today happens to be one of those opportunities for generosity. If you're unfamiliar with our church, every three months, in addition to our regular weekly giving, we have a love offering that goes to ministries that replicate the DNA of our church Our heart for hungry people, our heart for hurting children, our heart to reach people who are far from God. And so today, our people not only do they make gifts like me, when I wrote that check, I included an extra gift for these recipients. Uh, Will and Joe Ruck, their mom and dad uh, are here today, Kathy and Bill. Will grew up, and his sister Amanda. Uh, Will grew up in our church. They are missionaries in Japan, where only 2% of the population believes in Jesus. And they're they're there to extend the kingdom of God. So a third of our offering will go to them. A third of our offering today, our love offering, will go to Youth to Youth for Change. This is a group in our community that helps teenagers, middle school students, high school students, giving them service projects to help the homeless and the hurting right here in our community. And we believe it's one of the best ways to help kids grow through the difficulties of the teenage years is to help them serve other people in need. And then this organization, the Jamie Cox Foundation, maybe you're familiar, it's based in Rockford. Jamie Cox was a veteran. He was a Rockford police officer who was killed in the line of duty. And this agency now helps first responders, veterans, Troubled teenagers and victims of sex, sexual assault, hurting children, hurting people, hungry people, people far from God. And so, our love offering today, as people give online and give with cash or give with checks, will go. This is our extra opportunity to be extra generous, trusting that what we've planted, God will multiply. In fact, the word of God, this is Jesus. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, use your worldly resources to benefit others. Don't spend it all on yourself. Don't waste it. Use some of it to benefit others. And make, here's what happens: you make friends, actually, you make eternal friends. You make friends in heaven, one of whom is Jesus. Make friends in heaven. In this way, your, excuse me, you generously store up a reward, a treasure for yourself in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul wants to remind us that we get to choose. The size of our harvest. If we just give a little, we only get a little. Little trust gets a little increase. A lot of trust, a lot of genera, a lot of increase. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Remember this, because we're so we find it so easy to forget. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. My dad on his landing by the lake, his landing, he has a little three by three garden where he grows tomatoes and uh herbs and weird stuff. He doesn't smoke it, so it's okay. Um, He puts it on his salad. No, but out of that little three by three, he's only going to get so much harvest. Out of the 45 by 45 garden, I say, Dad, when I was down there, we ate potatoes out of his garden. We ate uh, green beans out of his garden. I don't know how this works, but we ate ham. We had tomatoes. But I said, Dad, there's no way you and Mom... Pat and Kathy, Carl and Barb can eat all the produce. What are you going to do, set up like a farmer's market and make some money? My dad, no, we're going to give it away to people who need it. They're just going to keep sowing seeds. It's not about the produce. It's about serving God. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's power principle number two, planting and harvest. Your harvest, what you are able to reap is determined by your generosity what you are willing to sow. You get to choose. Power principle number three, you get to see it's possible that we can experience heaven's floodgates opening over our lives. This is what I ask God for every night when we pray. I look at our finances. I say, thank you, God, for how good you've been to Deb and I. We don't deserve this. I'm not a financial whiz. I don't know what to do with money. All I know to do is what you say in your word, and I practice it. And look at this, God. You keep your promises. You are perfect in faithfulness, and you give us bounty and overflow. And so here's what we pray at night. Bring the whole tithe, the first 10% of your income, God says, into my house. You, God says, you could test me in this. It's a trust test for me, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough To store it. So that's what I pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Would you please open up the floodgates of heaven over our life and pour out more blessing than we have room enough to hold? And he is perfect in faithfulness, a promise keeper to the end. And why? Why would God say the first 10%? You know the Bible commands us 10 times. 10 times in the Bible, we are commanded to give the first 10% of our pay to the Lord out of every pay period. Here's why. The purpose of tithing, bringing God his tenth, is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Friends, you cannot pay me enough to get me to stop tithing. You cannot promise me anything in the world to get me to stop giving God what belongs to him. I'm not gonna spend his money, it's his. The first 10% of my income is holy unto the Lord. I'm not gonna steal it from him, it's his, it belongs to him. I can't even give it to him because it's already his. All I can do is bring it to him and show him my gratitude for his love. And his generosity to me. Um, okay. It was funny at the 8th, 15 they always clap when I'm done preaching. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> um, so I have no hesitation to invite you to join me in God's generosity challenge. There are white cards and the chair backs in front of you. If you would grab them, except for you guys. Thanks for sitting in the front. Hope I didn't spin on you much. But grab these, wave them at me when you've got them so I know that you found them. These are not for me. You don't give these to me. I want you to draw a line in the sand in your life. I want you to fill it out. I want you to sign it because we sign everything that's important to us in our lives. I want you to take it home, stick it in your Bible, on your fridge, on your bathroom mirror, your computer screen, someplace that you visit regularly. Now, Hundreds of you, you're like Deb and I. You practice what the Bible teaches about bringing the first 10% of your income to the Lord. And I'm, I have such respect for you. And you, um, our, our accumulated giving at church enables us uh, to have excellent in-person services and online services. Uh, to serve children here in our Kids Works ministry every week. High school students, middle school students on Wednesday of every week. On Wednesday of every week, giving away four days of groceries to every hungry person who comes. Our inner city ministry, our Latino ministry, our brand new unlimited playground, especially suited for kids with special needs. We have a church we started in Ecuador. On the basis of the generosity of this church. For some of you, this is just affirming, yeah, I'm gonna keep planting my seed and I'm gonna keep benefiting from the harvest of God. For others of you, maybe this Jesus thing is bad, excuse me, is brand new and you haven't been giving anything at all. Well, this is your chance to say, okay, I'll take the challenge. I will begin to give something, anything, out of every pay period to the Lord, trusting that as I sow, I will harvest. Or maybe some of you, you have been giving out of every pay period. Um, Maybe it's not been 10%, but that's cool. That's okay. We love you. But maybe now is the time to increase that and grow toward what the Bible teaches. Um, So just fill this out. I mean, this is serious between you and God. Take it home, put it in your Bible, on your fridge, on your computer screen, your bathroom mirror, and let's grow together in our generosity. Um, I'd like to pray with you about it right now. If you'd bow with me, please. Our Father and our God, uh, we know that fear holds us back, and, and we know that faith sets us free. As we consider this generosity challenge, Lord, our eyes are on you. Truly, truly, Lord, our trust is in you. We sow our generosity for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwired.com and have a great week.